from KYW News Radio in Philadelphia. This is Scroll Down. I'm Tom Rickert. Today on the podcast Philadelphia's opioid epidemic claimed 1,200 lives from overdoses last year. A health department survey shows one in three adults in Philadelphia used an opioid in the past year. More than 63,000 Americans died of a drug overdose in 2016. This is really a public health uh, disaster, worse than anything in my lifetime. Waylaid by addiction, hard knocks, or bad luck. Some of us do use heroin, some of us use crack, some of us use, use alcohol, and some of us don't. A new type of community has quietly and quickly sprung up in Philadelphia. About 200 people are living in tunnels in Kensington. This according to Philadelphia officials who testified today on the opioid epidemic. The homeless and the addicted seeking shelter in four encampments under the railroad tracks just north of Lehigh Avenue. People just have hauled mattresses and even box springs and frames onto the sidewalk and are sleeping there. The city wants them gone. It's a humanitarian crisis that presents a health and safety threat not only to the people living there, but to the neighbors who live nearby. So why are they staying? And what's it like to call a tunnel home? Pat Loeb covers City Hall for KYW News Radio. She's put a ton of time into reporting on addiction, on homelessness, and the opioid epidemic in Philly as well. Pat is back with me on Scroll Down Again. Back in March, Philly's Homeless Services Director testified before City Council. This is where this all kind of got started. What did she say? Well, she talked about how the opioid epidemic had spawned these tunnel encampments. Groups of people, anywhere from 12 to 50 in the largest ones, under four railroad tunnels in Kensington. The growth of homeless encampments driven by the opioid crisis is plaguing Kensington. Specifically under the tunnels north of Lehigh Avenue have an estimated population of 200 people. This was a fairly new phenomenon for Philadelphia, but it's not completely new. When I lived in L.A. 10 years ago, I wrote a lot about Skid Row, and that is an encampment. It is new in Philadelphia, though. Where they are now, there are neighbors nearby, kids walking around, and the city feels some kind of way about this. Oh, yes. It's terrible if you live in the neighborhood, I'm sure. If you have to get from one side of Lehigh Avenue to the other and you depend on a tunnel that goes down, say, Tulip Street or Emerald Street, which are residential streets just north of Lehigh, you have to walk past large encampments of people, people with beds and chairs and shopping carts full of their belongings on the sidewalk. And so the city has moved slowly to to try to remedy this situation. The streets department has increased to twice weekly trash pickups, distributed kits to neighbors that include sharps containers, grabbers, no trespassing signs, blue light bulbs, minimizing the harm of needles on the street. And encampment residents have been provided with trash containment supplies. They've gone in with kind of a carrot and stick approach where Outreach workers go in and try to coax people into treatment, into shelter, and then police come and try to enforce rules against, you know, camping on the sidewalk. Between the two of them, they've made tiny little inroads such as getting 
everyone to stay on one, one side, side of, street of the tunnel. To allow the neighbors safe passage. So that people can walk on the other side without being forced to go into the street. It's a small step, but, but that is how the city is approaching this. What do they ultimately want to do about it? Where, where do they want the people living there to go? Oh, they'd like them to go into treatment and into permanent housing. They have treatment beds that, that are full almost all the time, but they do have room for people and they are making room. And they've also, in the city budget, there are new units of Housing First or permanent supportive housing, uh, which is for people who are in behavioral health situations where they need supports even above and beyond shelter, such as drug addiction. Can you describe where these people are living? We we call them tunnels. So the the railroad tracks go run right next to Lehigh Avenue, just north of Lehigh Avenue. The cross streets, uh, Emerald, Tulip, Frankfurt Avenue, go underneath those tracks. That's where the encampments are, and they look like um, they don't look like a, a camp exactly because even though there are, there are tents present. There are also beds. People just have hauled mattresses and even box springs and frames onto the sidewalk and are sleeping there. And there's plenty of bedding. There are pillows and blankets, tons and tons of blankets. And they're all piled up. I went in the late morning and people were sleeping, um, all covered over in blankets. And um, it kind of looks like the inside of a house almost kind of a messy house. How many people were there when, when you went up to check it out? So I went to Tulip and Emerald Street, Frankfurt. I just kind of drove through, but I walked around Tulip and Emerald Street. And there were, at that time in the late morning, there were maybe a dozen people in each, in each little encampment. And most of them were sleeping. Um, a few people were awake. And I tried to talk to a lot of people who just were not interested in talking to me at all. And then I found the anonymous person who agreed to talk to me. You're going to record it. Right. Yeah, on tape. No name, though, right? No. Right. Yeah. All right, well, an anonymous, homeless person. Um. He was leaning into a tent, talking to someone inside a tent, and he had a friend with him. They were just kind of standing around talking. He did have a broom in his hand, and he said he was cleaning up because the city requires that they clean up every so often. And so he was still sweeping. Now every Friday, we, we have the clean out under here, as you can see. I mean, it's still a mess. They just left a half hour ago. I have a broom in my hand, still sweeping up the mess. Don't understand why we have to move all our property out of the tent or out of the, uh, the tunnel, out of the trestle, for them to clean up, and it doesn't get cleaned up. They do a horrible job. And then if it rains, snows, anything like that, we still have to move all our property outside when it gets soaking wet and then it freezes and then we have to move all our stuff back inside so our clothes our bed our bed our bedding uh all our bedding is soaking wet everything freezes then all of us get start getting sick they don't care about us um what else <laughs> you know the city is trying to enforce some standards now they haven't evicted anyone forcibly they're letting them live there but they're saying but this is a neighborhood and we have standards you have to keep this clean 
you know, neighbors don't want, for instance, bed bugs spreading out of this encampment or, or any other problem like that. And so you have to keep it clean. And they do require them to pull the stuff out and sweep. And he was complaining about having to do that when it's snowing or raining and everything gets wet. And then all my stuff was soaked. I had to stay inside of my tent for like three days because I had no pants and no shirt. Everything was freezing. Like blankets, everything. Like I'm covered up with damp, wet blankets, freezing. No shirt, no no boxers, no, nothing. Like just completely birthday suit <laughs> under. You know what I mean? And it was just horrible. But it's what the city said we had to do. So I mean. We're just trying to comply so there's no problems, so we can stay here. He did feel hard done by about that, yes. Why is he living there? Why, why did he tell you that this is his home? He said uh, he had fallen on hard times. Uh, he was unemployed, and he didn't want to be a burden to his family. No, I'm that. talking about me personally. I don't want to be a burden on my family. I mean, that's why I don't, I pretty much try and don't ask him for nothing. I mean, I call them, let them know that I'm okay and all, when I can. I call my mother and my father, let them know I'm okay. They ask me if I need anything, and um, I try to tell them, like, no, I'm okay. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? I try not to be that burden. Because uh, you know, they were old, and they took care of him, and so he didn't want to intrude on them now, and he had nowhere else to go basically, because he had no money. Don't you think they'd rather be taking care of you than having you be cold out here living under a tunnel? I'm a grown man. They already took care of me up until I was 18, you know? I mean, it's my turn. Really, it's my turn to take care of them, you know? And right now, I I can't. So, like I said, like I said, I don't want to be that burden. You know, I'd like to help them, but right now I'm in a, a spot in my life to where I can't. So, his story is representative of many of the people there. I think it is. I mean, I think the common thread going through the encampment is the, the drug use. I mean, some of us have have addictions and problems, but some people just have bad luck. Uh, run a bad luck. I mean, some people get laid off and can't pay the bill, and they get evicted. Uh, now he said not everyone is addicted. And that may well be true, but I do think one of the unifying forces is the mutual drug use that goes on in the encampments. I mean, I know a few people under here that have that have no addiction at all, completely no addiction. No, they just have run a bad luck. Some of us do have addictions. Some of us do use heroin. Some of us use crack. Some of us use use alcohol. But again, it's not like, I mean, when say a kid walks down the block or whatever. We let, we let the whole community know there's a kid on the, on, the, on the block walking down and everybody puts whatever they're using away. Nothing happens in front of kids. We make sure all the, all the syringes and everything, all the paraphernalia is all cleaned up. Pretty much it's just not all of us have an addiction. Simple as that. And so when you're using drugs, most people, their ability to function goes down a lot. It's becomes difficult to hold a job it becomes difficult to pay the rent every month and you do then have homelessness as a result of it regardless of this particular circumstances of any person who's living in the tunnels 
I think in, in a general way, it, it starts with drug use. The people that you talk to, what, what is it like to live there? What, what do they struggle with every day? The cold at the time, now it's finally moderating in temperature a little bit, but when I was there, it was freezing cold, and uh, well, they tell me you, you get used to that. I mean, we're pretty much uh, uh, acclimated to the cold weather. I mean, from being out here, we don't really feel the cold weather the way other people do. I mean, so you're all bundled up, I'm in a hoodie, you know what I mean? And the elements, you know, their stuff gets wet, and... It's all they have, and so now they have wet stuff, and they have to deal with that. They do get support from various nonprofits that give them little necessities, toiletries, razors. They do have access to nonprofits that provide clothes and um, bedding. Angels in Motion, great group of people. It's a great organization. They donate, donate donate a lot of time and effort and uh, uh, plenty of uh, um, toiletries and uh, snack bags, blessing bags. Great organization. Another great organization is uh, Never Give Up. They also um, try to help us out with clothing and, and all that other stuff, the toiletries and all. So. But I have all kind of extra stuff just for that reason if I do run across somebody that does need it. But. I'm not sure where the mattresses come from. It could be that as people get evicted, they just bring their stuff with them. And then, you know, getting getting drugs, I think, would be one of the major preoccupations. How do the people who have ended up living in such close proximity to each other, how do they get along? How do they interact? Well... See, this is the thing with it, with the encampments. Kind of an unusual way to live. I mean, it is, but we're all community. Right. We're 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 all right. So we're like a subculture, pretty much. Because the the tracks above them form a kind of roof over their head. There's an illusion that they're living inside almost at times, and they're living together in close proximity, and they have common interests and common problems. And so they really support each other. I see a buddy of mine, and I want to, I want to. All right, yo, do you have a spot that I can stay? Yeah, let me say, you know what I mean. Let me set up a spot for you. A couple months ago, I gave the the, the jacket, the jacket off my back to somebody who had soaking wet clothes. So like I said, we're all part, like a community. We help each other. Um, we all stick together. If somebody needs something, we we pull through. If my if buddy of mine or or his girlfriend needs something. Uh, we'll make it happen, sneakers or, or clothes, whatever. Like, we just try to stick together as a community, but... And I think the city has found this, too, that one of the reasons they're having a hard time coaxing them out of the tunnels and into other kinds of shelter is that they believe that they are a community and they want to stay together. Like I said, everybody looks down upon us. It's like... like People drive by and uh, and are recording us, taking pictures of us, like we're like we're in we're like we're animals. They turn against people that find it odd, you know. The uh, people that drive by and stare at their encampment, they get insulted by that, as though they are being mistreated in some way. I think my interviewee talked about people looking at them like they're animals. They drive by, they take pictures of us, they stare. I mean, like we're a zoo exhibit. And that's horrible. Like, like we're not. They're looking at us like we're not human. 
like I said again, like we're a subculture or whatever, but we're not all bad people. I mean, there should be no reason like that's mad disrespect. They're judging us. I think that's a reflection that, again, is that defense mechanism that they're staring at us. That's not right. What we're doing is normal. We're not animals. So... You mentioned earlier that Philadelphia has programs for people who want to get off the streets, get into treatment. What did the people you talked with living inside the Kensington tunnels have to say about those programs? They don't want to go straight. You know, they don't want to have to stay sober, which is one of the requirements for being in treatment or being in um, housing first or supportive housing. They don't want to stay sober to get into that kind of housing. And they don't want to go into the other kind of housing that's just raw shelter, just to get out of the cold. They prefer the tunnels to the city shelter system. If you could find a place, um, do you think you'd leave this community? I mean, yeah, but there's... It's just like some of the, the shelters in Philadelphia are just so run down and horrible, like... You go in there and you get you get you get your things taken like it's it's a network. It's not just the city shelter system. There's a, there's a network. There's Project Home. There's the uh, Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission. There are, there are various providers, but um, that kind of shelter is extremely insecure and f- from all I've heard, extremely unpleasant. I know I could turn around here and, and take my sneakers off or my boots off and put them on the side of my bed and wake up and they'll still be there. At a shelter, I, I had to sleep with them underneath my head as a pillow because I know that they'll be taken as soon as I, t- you know what I mean, as soon as I take them off my feet. No matter how how cold or how exposed they are in those tunnels, they think that it's better than being in shelter. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, if it was a different, like maybe a recovery house or a halfway house or something, yeah, that that'd be a different story. But as far as like a shelter or something, that. Uh, did you have any any reflections from from going to check out the camps? Is there anything else that you you were thinking about? I was thinking about codependency uh, when I left a lot, and how what a strong bond that can make between people. Um, the second person that I talked to, uh, who's a, a redheaded kid from Maryland. So, so what did bring you here? Actually, was shopping with my cousin, and somehow got separated. I no clue. I went back to where the car was parked. No car. Cell phones dead. I mean, try to ask anybody like walking or like pull up to a car like a Lexus, Ben, something like that. Figured they have a charge on me, use it. Nope. Pull off from me. Bumped into him. They straight took me in. You know what I mean? I mean, it's crazy. Phone to use. Yes, if I had a phone to use, I told him no, but. I said I might I might be able to get on the phone to where where I live at, which is under the tunnel, and uh, see if I could get on a phone call. I mean, unfortunately, nobody had a phone to use. But I turned around. I said, "Look," I said, "until we can get you a phone call, I mean, I'll put you up. I'll get you blankets if you need clothes. I got whatever you need. Like if you need to wash your face, brush your teeth, I got all brand new stuff." And he ended up just staying. In the tunnels, and he he had been there for two days already. By the time I got there, with no effort to get his phone charged, so that he could get back in touch with his cousins. Did you get a phone call yet? Nope. Well, I no. have a phone. 
I need. That's the thing. I need to charge mine. I don't. I don't know any. <laughs> that's the problem I've been running into. You know? <laughs> address book. I know, man. Like I have my phone, and I got a bit. I left a charger in the bigger jacket that I left in the car. Like, just I don't know. I guess it's bad set of motion. I don't know. But he had formed a bond with one of the other tunnel residents, who, the one who'd invited him to stay there. They were like best friends. I thought that they'd known each other forever when I started talking to them. But no, they met two days ago. So it, it was striking to me the way you can form a bond out of a mutual need. I mean, he didn't know me from Adam. Just right away took me in, made sure I had something to eat, something to drink. Sat up with me talking all night, you know what I mean? Like, i telling you right now, it's a good set of people, man. Like, seriously. What do you think the future holds for the people who live in the tunnels and for the people who live in the houses nearby? The city is very intent on getting the encampments removed. However, they do want to do it slowly and humanely. So they are looking at a model that was piloted in San Francisco. And as I said, the West Coast where the weather's better, this is a more common phenomenon there. So in San Francisco, there were about a thousand people in encampments and they took it down to about 150 people. They didn't eliminate them completely. But since uh, Philadelphia is starting out with a, a relatively low number of people, they're hoping that if they can follow that pilot and be successful, that maybe they can eliminate them altogether. Pat, where can we follow you online and keep up with your reporting? I have a Facebook page at Pat Loeb. I'm on Twitter at Pat Loeb. And, of course, I'm on kywnews.radio.com. Pat, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. It's a pleasure, Tom. I'm happy to talk about this. And that's it for this week's show. If you like the podcast, please take a minute to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. You can follow the show on Twitter as well at ScrollDownPod. You can follow me at T-Rick, T-E-E-R-I-C-K. Make sure to give Pat a follow as well at Pat Loeb. I'm Tom Rickert. Thank you for listening to Scroll Down. I'll talk to you again next time.